today's, um, today's reading will be from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35 to 58. If you're reading from the Blue Pew Bible, you can find today's reading on page 961. Hey, good morning. I'll pause a little bit this time. Uh, today's reading will be from 1 Corinthians first, uh, chapter 15, verse 35 to 58. Okay. Please rise for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 to 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us once more. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word as it was just read to us. And we now pray for your Holy Spirit to take your holy word and to apply it deeply to our hearts, to our lives, that we may come away transformed and changed by an encounter with you sitting under the preaching of your word. 
We pray all this for your glory and our good. And in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I'm in my my mid-40s now, and I am definitely feeling the effects of aging. If I do any strenuous activity, I notice that my recovery time is definitely longer than before. Now, you know, as, as many of you know, I, I do have a toddler in the home, and so, you know, she does keep me on my toes. Uh, she does, you know, uh, keep me feeling younger, but it's all a facade. Uh, I, I just feel younger because I'm hanging out with like, younger dads at the park. But I, I need to watch myself. I, I, I realize now I can't horseplay like I could you know, 10 years ago, I, I, just, I, mean, I just, I pull muscles from just sleeping, you know, sleeping weird on my pillow, and I wake up, I'm like, oh, you know, I wish I had a cool story, and no, I just, I woke up, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm injured. Now, many of you here are older than me, and so you know what I'm talking about. You're like, hey, welcome to the club, you know, this is, it, just, it just gets harder. Uh, and, and some of you here are... You know, let's just face it, you're, you're well acquainted with physical pain and limitations. Perhaps you struggle with a chronic disease. Maybe some days your flare-ups get, get so bad that you can't even go to work. You can't even get out of bed. Or, or perhaps for you, you've had a, a significant injury in the past, and so, you know, you, you are definitely feeling the effects of, of that injury. You have chronic pain. You have limited mobility. I mean, suffice to say, you feel very acutely, you, you feel the pain and the frustration of having to bear these burdensome bodies, of being embodied creatures that are susceptible to, to weakness and to decay. You know what that's like. Now, at the same time, though, many of you here are actually at the prime of your lives. You're young, you're fit. And so, you know, your, your annual physicals, man, they are quick, they are easy. Or you're probably so young, you don't even do annual physicals. That's, that's probably where many of you are at. So you often don't think about your body, you don't think about its limitations. The breakdown of your body is probably the furthest thing on your mind right now. But whether you're young, or you're old, or you're somewhere in between, I believe, friends, that this morning's passage does speak a relevant word to all of us. Because we're all still in the body. We are all still aging. So all of us are going to experience the effects of life in a burdensome body. Whether now or later, you're going to know what it's like. And this passage speaks to you. Now, lately, we've been in a series going through 1 Corinthians, and we have been sitting in chapter 15 for a couple of weeks. Now, as we explained earlier, the false teaching that Paul was addressing here in this chapter wasn't necessarily a, a teaching that was denying the resurrection of Christ, but rather they were denying one of the most important implications of Christ's resurrection, that is the future resurrection of those who die in Christ, who die trusting in Jesus as their Savior. Because Christ has been bodily raised, the point in our chapter is that Christians can look forward to a bodily resurrection from the dead. Now, friends, if imagining dead people 
rising from their graves, if that sounds to you as far-fetched, if that sounds strange to you, well, just know that it sounded equally strange to people in Paul's day. If you look with me at verse 35 again, notice the question. Notice the, 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 the rhetorical question that's being asked here. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You see, the objectors in those days couldn't make sense of this idea of a bodily resurrection. Because what they were picturing, they were picturing dead, rotted corpses and trying to imagine them crawling out of the grave. Trying to imagine them coming back to life. And so just as, you know, a really bad B-movie zombie flick you know, it just seems just utterly ridiculous to us when we watch it. The, in the same way, those in the Corinthian church thought the idea of a bodily resurrection was flat out silly. What, what kind of body are they going to come back with? That's, that's crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. Especially, they, they thought this, especially since you have to realize that ancient Greeks didn't normally bury their dead. They actually cremated their dead. They practiced cremation because they viewed the body at, at best as a shell. At worst, it was considered the, the prison house for your soul. And so burning the dead was how you would free the, the soul from its bodily shackles. Now, as these Greek um, pagans were being converted to Christianity in the Corinthian church. They began to renounce cremation. They began to embrace the Christian practice of burial. But they still had a hard time imagining their deceased loved one, whose, whose ashes ha has been scattered to the four winds. How in the world are they going to rise again in a body? But of course, what they failed to understand is that in the future resurrection of the dead, it's going to involve a radical transformation. We will rise with our bodies, but they won't be the same bodies. They'll be changed. They'll be transformed to a greater kind of glory. They will be imperishable. They will be immortal. That, my friends, is Paul's argument here in chapter 15, verses 35 to 58. His whole point is that the Christian's hope is not to one day shed this burdensome body, but rather to see it changed, to see it transformed. That's what believers can look forward to. Now, in this morning's text, I, I see three things in particular that Christians can anticipate. If you want to follow along, look in your bulletin. You'll see an outline. Three things that we as believers in Christ can anticipate. First, we can anticipate a future earthly existence. Second, new glorified bodies. And third, we can anticipate a stingless death. All right, so let's, let's go. Let's get, get into our text. The first thing that we can anticipate is a future earthly existence. That means we can look forward to a final destination that will be a physical place experienced in a physical body. Our experience of heaven, it won't be you know, floating up in the clouds. No, it will be a physical, earthly existence. Now, I get it. Maybe for some of you, that, that doesn't fit your expectations of what you thought heaven was going to be like. 
It's not what the ancient Greeks, like the Corinthians, would have anticipated for the afterlife themselves. As we just explained, Greeks didn't recognize the body as being an essential part of who you are, right? So they had this dualistic worldview that sharply divided the physical from the spiritual. So that means anything physical, anything material like your body would have been considered inferior to that which is immaterial, namely your soul. And so in that worldview, they would have understood your soul, the immaterial part of you, as being truly you. That's who you really are. You're just your soul. Which is why Greeks assume that after death, after the, the shedding off of this burdensome body, you would now enter into a, an immaterial existence in an otherworldly place. You wouldn't be here anymore. That's why. Talk of a resurrection where we rise with new bodies on a new earth, that would have made no sense to them. I mean, if you already died, why would you need to be reunited with your body? If you finally got rid of it, now you're free from your shackles, why would you want to put it back on again? That's what ancient Greeks would have wondered. I'm not surprised if Christians today wonder the same thing. Why do we need a resurrection? Why do we need a body in the future? If after we die, if we know, if we believe that we're going to be with Christ in heaven, then what's the whole point of a resurrected body? But friends, do you see that that question already assumes a very dualistic worldview that sees heaven as some kind of immaterial, otherworldly existence? Now, 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 to be clear, friends, when I'm speaking about heaven right now, I'm not talking about where the dead in Christ are right now, which theologians would call the intermediate state. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about the Christian's future final destination when all is said and done. What is that going to be like? If your picture of that heaven doesn't include mountains, and valleys, and rivers, if it doesn't include buildings and bridges and all sorts of technology, if you're imagining clouds, if you're imagining floating castles, then you're not actually thinking of heaven. You're thinking about something else. You're thinking about a caricature that might be very popular, but that's not heaven according to Scripture. Heaven according to Scripture will be an earthly place. I mean, Revelation chapter 21 tells us that heaven will one day come down to earth. Now, it will be a renewed earth, a new earth, but it's still going to be earth. So that means if God, if God were to just, you know, show up to you tonight, appear to you, and if he were to give you a glimpse of heaven, he, he, he lets you see what heaven is going to be like and what it's going to look like, Friends, you would actually recognize it. And it's not because he's going to show you some otherworldly location that just replicates everything uh, similar to here on earth. No, he's actually going to, if, he, if he's going to give you a glimpse of heaven, you're actually going to be looking at earth. Now, it's going to look different, but only different in the sense that the curse of sin and all of its ruinous effects will have been eradicated from this earth. 
It'll be new in that sense. But it's still going to be the earth. When all is said and done, God's plan is not to transport his people away from earth. He's not going to abandon creation. No, his plan is to renew creation. He won't give up on earth any more than he'll give up on us. So if our final destination is to be with God on a newly renewed earth, well, then we're going to need newly renewed bodies. Now, I understand that you're reading through this text. Certain verses here are going to seem to argue the opposite. All right? I mean, for example, if you look at verse 50, verse 50 is where someone might point out, well, it says there that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. That seems to suggest that the kingdom of heaven won't be a place for physical bodies. But friends, verse 50 is talking about our bodies as constituted right now. That's what Paul means by, by flesh and blood. So that means your body in its present perishable state won't inherit the kingdom of heaven, which is why your body needs to be transformed. It needs to be resurrected. So when verse 44, look there, when it says, verse 44, that our natural body will be sown and then raised up as a spiritual body, you know, don't focus so much on the word spiritual that you overlook the word body. And it's still going to be a body. You know, calling the resurrection body that, we're all going to, that Christians are going to experience one day as, as spiritual doesn't suddenly make it immaterial or intangible because bodies, by definition, are material, material tangible things. They're physical things. So here, natural and spiritual, these are adjectives just describing the moral qualities of that physical body. Paul's point here is that only spiritual bodies, that is, bodies that have been fully sanctified and glorified and eradicated of all sin, only those kinds of bodies, those kinds of resurrection bodies are going to be able to dwell on the new earth. That's what he's describing here. I mean, friends, just get, have to ask yourself, is it possible that you have unknowingly adopted a very Greek-like dualistic worldview, especially your view of what the future is going to be like? Have you always imagined heaven as this really foreign and otherworldly place? Have you carried a rather low view of the body? Do you see it as just this extraneous part of yourself that you look forward to shedding one day when you go off to heaven? Now, you know, I, I realize that some of you are facing a daily struggle with the aging and the wearing down of your body. And so I understand why the idea of finally being rid of this burdensome body sounds very appealing to you. But my point is that according to Scripture, that is not the Christian's blessed hope. Our hope is not to be freed from the restraint of a human body and to escape this cursed earth. No, our hope is for this physical earth and our physical bodies to be redeemed, to be renewed. Our hope is for our earth and our bodies 
to be renewed by the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. Our Christian hope is to live out our eternal lives on a new earth, in new bodies that never age, that never get sick, that never feel pain, that, that, that will never die. That is our hope. That's what Christians have to look forward to. Which leads to our next point. I want to talk about how these burdensome, broken bodies of ours will be, by God's grace, gloriously transformed in the future resurrection. So let's consider how we can anticipate new glorified bodies. This is our second point here. Look back at verse 35 again. Remember that Paul is responding to an objection that bodily resurrection makes no sense. His opponents, again, they couldn't fathom how such fragile, feeble flesh can be transformed into something as glorious as to what Paul has been describing. But Paul's response in verse 36 is, is one of shock. He, he's shocked at how foolish they are in their thinking. These skeptics of the resurrection of the dead, they're mistaken. Because they're thinking actually in terms of a resuscitation of the dead. They're not thinking about resurrection. They're imagining a rotted corpse being resuscitated back to life. They're not taking into account the radical transformation that always accompanies a resurrection. To convey this idea of, 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 of this radical transformation, Paul turns to an analogy, a seed analogy. He says, just look at what happens when a seed gets planted into the ground. There is both, there's going to be both continuity and discontinuity between the seed and the eventual plant. This is his analogy. Look with me in verse 36. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So, Think here with me, using his analogy, in terms of, of continuity, right? If you sow, as, as Paul mentions here, a kernel of wheat, you know that come harvest time, you're not going to reap suddenly a barley plant, right? It's still going to be wheat. There is continuity. Well, in the same way, the human body, when it dies and it goes into the ground, one day it will be raised as a human body. You know, we're not going to transform suddenly into some different kind of being. No, we remain humans. Just as Jesus, he rose and he came back as a human. All of the post-resurrection accounts in Scripture make a point of emphasizing that Jesus didn't come back as a ghost. He didn't come back as an angel. Right? He had a human body that could be touched by his disciples. He ate food in front of them. He ate and digested, you know, fish and bread. He remained incarnate in the flesh even after the resurrection. There is continuity there. But in resurrection, friends, there's also discontinuity. I mean, just go think back to that kernel of wheat, right? The seed, the little wheat seed that is planted looks vastly different from the eventual plant. I mean, just, you know, the fact that you go outside 
and you look at all these massive trees. I mean, some of them can be multiple stories high. And you think, man, these, these trees, these huge trees, came from tiny little seeds. I mean, if you think about that, that should really blow your mind. I mean, just imagine sticking like a little acorn, right, you know, in the dirt, you know, putting some dirt over it, patting it down, and just walking away, you know, paying it no attention. And then a year later, you go back to that same place, you're like, I'm going to dig up my little acorn. I, you know, I, I want to see that thing again. And suddenly you're like, whoa, where, what happened? Because in the place where I planted is this tall oak tree. How did that happen? I mean, that should just blow our minds that something, some kind of transformation like that occurs. It's amazing when you consider the difference between that acorn and the oak tree. What rises up looks nothing like what was buried. There is discontinuity. And yet, at the same time, it's not like what rose up is something brand new, right? It's still an oak tree, and that's an oak tree's seed called an acorn. And so, you know, Revelation 21, again, talking about the future, it says there in Revelation 21, verse 5, that God is going to make all things new. It doesn't say that God's coming back to make all new things, but to make all things new. So that means in the future resurrection, the, the new earth will still be the earth, and resurrected bodies will still be bodies. This, my friends, is Paul's response to those who can't fathom how the dead come back in a body. If, if their corpses have rotted, or if they were cremated and their ashes have been scattered to the four winds, how can they rise in bodily form is, is what they're wondering, right? What kind of body do the dead, uh, the, the resurrected come with? And Paul says, man, those are foolish objections. Now, if he were preaching a future resuscitation of the dead, well then, hey, actually those would be some fair objections. That would be a problem. But Paul only preaches a future resurrection. So no matter if you were buried in one piece or if you were scattered you know, to the four corners of the earth, if you died trusting in Christ, you will rise again in a new body that has been qualitatively changed as much as an, as an acorn has been changed into an oak tree. I mean, just think back to Jesus and, and his resurrection. He came back with a human body, right? But it wasn't exactly the same as before. It, it was far more glorious than before. And that's the whole point of verse, uh, verses 38 to 41, where Paul directs our attention to, to, to nature, just to looking around at creation. He points out how within this creation, God has assigned different kinds of bodies with different degrees of glory. And so our, our, the point is that our present body is going to give out one day, right? It's, it's going to, and like a seed, we're going to be buried into the ground. But a change is coming. Look, look at verse 42. Listen to this. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. You know, after Jesus was raised in power, his new resurrected body did some peculiar things. 
Right? It's recorded for us in Luke 24, verse 31, that after revealing his identity to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, poof, he just suddenly vanished from their sight. Or in John's gospel, in, in John chapter 20, verse 19, it, it says that on the eve of that first Easter Sunday, the doors were locked, the disciples were, were huddled in there, scared of the authorities, and yet Jesus came and suddenly stood among his disciples, right? He just somehow just came in through a locked door. So his resurrected body still was a human body, but apparently it wasn't bound by the same limitations as we are today in our present lowly state. And yet, you know, just having said that and just pointing out those scripture verses, I don't want you to have the impression that post-resurrection, Jesus just constantly, you know, floated around Jerusalem, right? Just, you know, like, boo, you know, materializing himself behind, you know, walls and just as, as if he was just teleporting here and there, visiting all of his disciples. Like, that's, that's not how, what we should be picturing. I mean, that might give you the impression that, oh, I don't think he really is human anymore. He doesn't really have a body if that's, if that's how he operates. But just think about it. Think about how in all four of the gospel accounts, they all make a point of emphasizing that the stone that was in front of his tomb was rolled away that Easter morning. Now, why make a big deal about the stone being rolled away if Jesus would just, you know, naturally, you know, just constantly like materialize himself through, through walls and through stone? I mean, he could have just like, you know, gone right through this. Why do you need to roll away the stone? Well, the fact that they emphasize the stone was rolled away is to drive home the point that Christ is resurrected in a resurrected body and that real body walked out of the tomb. Didn't just materialize through the stone, right? It's a changed body. It's far more glorious than before, but it's still a human body. Friends, unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, the fact is that we're all going to die, and our bodies will one day fail us. There's no use denying that. There's no use ignoring that fact. Every hour of every day, your body is wearing down just a little bit more. And one day, it's going to give out. Unless a fatal accident or some kind of tragedy strikes you first, your body will fail you. That's the reality that we all face. But friends, if you put your hope in Jesus, if you believe that he died for your sins, if you believe that he defeated death and that he is alive today, then even though your body will one day fail you, you will be sown in dishonor. You will be sown in weakness. You will be sown as a natural body. But one day... The hope is that one day you're going to hear your name called out. And you're going to hear a simple command to come out. And just like Lazarus, you'll come out of the tomb. But you will come out in a glorified, transformed body. Listen to verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep meaning that some believers will not experience bodily death because they're going to be living 
when Jesus returns. Jesus will come back in their lifetime. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. You know, recently I, I was in a discussion about our Christian hope. You know, of, of our hope of a future earthly existence living in new glorified bodies. I was just talking to some believers about this just, just the other day. And, and a father of a special needs child was describing just how much he looks forward to seeing his child one day flourishing, thriving in a resurrected body. Experiencing the fullness of what it really means to be made in the image of God. Because right now, in this present state, this man's child faces certain limitations. It's what makes this present life a challenge for their entire family. But I was moved to hear this father describe his hope in the gospel promise that one day, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he and his child and the rest of us who are in Christ will all be changed. We shall be changed. Friends, that same hope can be yours. I mean, you may, you may be facing right now some cer certain physical limitations. I mean, maybe you're battling cancer. Maybe you're dealing with a chronic disease. Maybe you're, you're noticing your memory is in decline and, and, and you're thinking about you know how your parents or your grandparents had dementia and, and, and you're, you're fearful for yourself and you're wondering, is that going to be my future? Look, you should, you should avail yourself to all of, you know, available treatments. I mean, just be grateful for, for all the advancements in medicine and technology. I mean, gr be grateful for the fact that we live today in this present age. But keep this in mind. The word of God never holds out the promise that all your diseases and all of your physical limitations will be healed in this life. It doesn't hold out that promise, but it does promise you. It does hold out the promise of new life on a new earth, in a new body, if you put your hope in a risen Lord, in a resurrected Savior. If you put your trust in Christ, then you can be sure that when this vapor of a life has passed, you will be raised and you will be changed. You will no longer face any limitations anymore. You will finally experience the fullness of what it means to be made in the image of God. That's the Christian's hope. And that could be your hope if it isn't already so. But look, I, I understand how, how all of this can still be hard to hear, right? Because, like I just explained, the Christian hope is ultimately future-oriented. It's a hope not necessarily for your present life, but for your future resurrected life, which implies you're still likely one day going to die. You probably won't avoid death. But that was... That was never the Christian hope in the first place, right? Our hope is in the promise that because of what Jesus did on our behalf, we won't stay dead. That's the hope. Yeah, we're going to die, but we're not going to stay dead. We're going to rise again 
in resurrection life. That leads to the third thing we have to look forward to. The Christian hope anticipates death. We're going to die. But we're not going to experience just a regular death, but rather a stingless death. This is, this is really Jesus' parting gift to his disciples. By means of his death and resurrection, he leaves his people with a stingless death. This is our third point, and look with me here at, at verse 54. And this is uh, verses 54 to 55. Let me read that again. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Uh, here Paul is quoting out of Hosea chapter 13 verse 14 where the prophet is essentially taunting death. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And Paul's saying that Hosea's taunt will be fulfilled one day in the resurrection that takes place when all the dead will rise. And from that day on, no one will ever die again. Death will be swallowed up. It's going to be gobbled up. It will be defeated. It will be the death of death. But until that day comes, we still will face death. But there's a way to experience a stingless death, a death that won't hurt, that won't harm. Notice how verse 56 talks about death's sting. That, that Greek word there refers to a scorpion's sting or, or a bee's sting. Listen to verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So notice here, death itself is not actually the problem. You have no need to fear death itself, only death that still has a sting in it. It's only death experienced as a punishment for sin that you should be scared of. So friends, that means if you have yet to deal with your sin, if you have yet to deal with your failure to perfectly keep God's law, then death when it strikes, will carry a deadly sting. And you should fear that kind of death because you too will one day be raised, but not raised unto eternal life, but rather raised unto judgment and eternal destruction. To face death with a sting in it should be feared. That is not what you want. But the gospel... The gospel centers on what Christ has done for you by grace. He has both fulfilled the law on your behalf and he has removed the sting of death. And all you have to do is put your trust in him. Put your faith in him and suddenly death for you will have been changed. It will be transformed from a punishment for sin to now a pathway to resurrected life. For the Christian, death is now gain, according to Paul. And it's because of what Christ did for us on the cross. On the cross, he let death sting him. On the cross, Jesus took the sting of death for us. And just think about, just, just think about, how, think about a, a bee, 
a little bee that has used up its stinger. It stung you. It's a goner. That little bee without a stinger is now a goner. It's going to buzz around for a little bit, but we all know that little bee, you know, it's going to die eventually. It doesn't have its stinger anymore. Well, in the same way, in the same way, death stung Jesus on the cross. And in so doing, death sealed its own fate. It's a goner. Now, yes, death is still buzzing around right now. It's, you know, death has yet to die. But like a bee without its stinger, you can be at rest to know that death is harmless to, to believers. It's like a bee that doesn't have a stinger. You don't have to fear that. You don't need to be scared. Christian, you have no need to fear death. It has been swallowed up in Christ's victory, in his death, his resurrection. One day death will be no more. Listen to verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, I, I know some of you are struggling, struggling with your burdensome body and shaking your faith because you're not experiencing the healing or, or the recovery that you've been praying for. In fact, for you, it may be getting worse. Your body is wearing down. Or perhaps you're seeing this happen to someone else. You're seeing this happen to a friend or to a family member. I know some of you guys are taking care of elderly parents, a sick spouse, special needs children. And, and you're seeing what this burdensome body is doing to a loved one. And, and, and your faith has been tried. Your faith has been tested. But remember this. If you are in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. And that's the encouragement that Paul leaves us with here in verse 58. If you have found refuge in the risen Lord, if you share in his death, then know that you will also share in his resurrection. Your labor is not in vain. And if it's, if, if it's a loved one that you are concerned for, um, you know, then you should really be praying for their healing. You should keep on caring for them in their weakness. But if you're thinking about someone else right now and, and their body breaking down, be sure to prioritize their relationship with the Lord. Because if they're safe in Christ, then their labor and your labor will ultimately not be in vain. Though their body give way, their hope in Jesus will stay. That's the kind of hope we have as a people who worship a risen Lord and resurrected Savior. Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the God of life. But no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope Christ in power resurrected, as we will be when he comes. Father, we thank you for this word of encouragement, a reminder of the resurrection of Christ 
and the future resurrection of all those who put their hope in Christ. So for those of us who feel very acutely the burdensomeness of living in the body, I pray, Lord, that you will give us right now great hope and great faith to trust that Jesus is alive and Jesus is coming for his own and Jesus will transform us into a glorious, transformed body like his. And we will enjoy eternal life with all those who trust in Christ, living on a new earth with our risen Lord and Savior. That is our hope in you, O Lord. In your name we pray, amen.